Hello and welcome to A Cup of UX. You're joined in a special episode today with myself, Tanya and Michelle. So how have you been, Michelle? How's your week been? I think quite, um, quite eventful-ish. Um, I, the university interviewed me last week about my major project, um, which has won an award in the International Design Awards our company actually sent over some champagne to celebrate. <laughs> oh, amazing. You must have had a fair bit of exposure since that because um, I've seen it on my LinkedIn a few times. Yes. It's just, I, I feel so like embarrassed like talking about it because people keep congratulating like, yeah, thank you. <laughs> so go on, t- tell us what exactly was it that you won? I know I know it came up in another episode, but just to reiterate. Oh, um, I entered my project in the product design category for social impact and it won a silver. Yeah. Amazing. You can't see it, but I'm nodding. (laughs) (laughs) No, very well done to you. Honestly, it was an incredible project idea. And I'm sure if any of our listeners are keen to look at it, Michelle can include the link somewhere on our Instagram or you can talk to her personally about it. I'm sure she won't mind. Yeah, I, you know, I think that's the only thing that I, I have been doing is like people congratulating me and then telling me like at like asking me more about my, my project of, you know, of like digital inclusion and, and stuff like that. But yeah, I'm, I'm having to share about, you know, my, my insights as well as the, the process that I had to go through. Like, I think it was like quite interesting that I was doing this, this project during COVID times because I wasn't able to go out and directly speak to some of my users. I had to do it indirectly through like charity workers or through like digital ethnography, like such as going on YouTube, watching vloggers, reading blogs or going on Reddit. It's, it's all, it's all a very interesting process. Yeah, amazing. How do you feel about your project now, knowing that it's got that kind of validation from having an award? Do you suddenly feel more motivated to actually go and make it? Or where's your kind of thought process along that? I think I think after after like all of that and, you know, with COVID going on right now, I think this project that I started was has gained a much higher significance and a much higher need for it. And I am like excited to to start on it, but I'm not sure where I could start on it because you know I'm just one person, and my project involves you know speaking to like mobile companies, and I'm not sure if they're willing to get on board with that. And there's like lots of next steps that I need to I have to go through before fully carrying like fully taking that project to the next level, because um, I remember speaking speaking to the school and they were asking me like what my next steps were and I said since this was all done during the pandemic you know I wasn't able to go out and do like actual testing that's something that I'm really keen on doing once lockdown is over once we're able to you know go see people again once we're able to you know sit next to each other yeah Yeah, somewhat normal testing environment I guess yeah yeah now that makes sense. Um, just for our audience's benefit, give us a brief synopsis of what your app is to like tell us what your concept was. So, in a very sh- short sentence, um, 
My app is a third-party data sharing app. It helps provide data for like internet usage to people who can't afford it by collecting the leftover data from other users. Let's just say, for example, um, I am on a plan from three and I, I pay, I think, 13 quid per month for about 12 gigs of data, but I don't completely use all of it, especially like, you know, we're all at home right now. I think I only use about two gigs per month. And then, you know, the rest of the 10 gigs, like they go to waste. And then, and then I thought to myself, you know, why not like just donate it? Because I'm, you know, I'm paying for it anyways. Like, why not just like give it to people who actually need it? That's the... Um, simple explanation of my my concept it's, it's honestly a brilliant idea i never even thought about the concept of like when you don't use your data where does it actually go like i've never really seen it as a physical thing because it's not is it yeah but i know because o2 i literally just changed my plan actually so i was think i was paying 22 pound a month i think it was like eight gigabyte of data and then i went on o2 because i was looking to change my phone number that's another story for another day but i went on there initially to go and change my number and just see if i could do that without changing sim cards and things like that and then i saw this plan there and it was 20 gigabyte for 20 pound and then it was 50 percent off for the first six months so it's 10 pound which is still cheaper than what i'm paying why am i getting so little for, for like more money um so i've just changed my plan now but I think my data usage was probably about eight gig max anyway, but it's always just nice to have the extra just in case you need it. But I never thought about if you don't use it, like where does that actually go? Because with O2, if you buy additional data on top of what you have, whatever you haven't used will get carried over to the next month. But they don't do that on your general monthly plan because then nobody would ever buy extra data because you'd always have something left. So there must be a way of transferring it, but I've never thought about it, to be honest. I mean, is it possible? There, like, there are actually phone plans that actually do carry over your data, but that's not all companies do that. But to to me, I think I read somewhere that they just kind of charge you for the same thing, like every month. They just kind of resell your data back to you, and that's how they make money. So cheeky. But you know, I might be wrong, but this is just something that I read off the internet. I'm like, because for for three, it's it's basically like that, like. I have tons of leftover data. The next month, like, it, it gets reset. Yeah, I guess you don't get that additional data, though, on top of your new reset one. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's just a reset. I'd literally have, like, 100 gigabyte of data every six months if that was actually the case. Could you imagine you just had, like, an additional 10 gig every month or more than that? Especially at the moment, like you said, no one's actually using their mobile data. We've all got Wi-Fi and we're all at home all the time, so. Exactly. And I was, like, I was thinking of cancelling, but... What, cancelling your phone plan altogether? Like, just cancelling the data part, because I don't really I don't really use it. I mean, wait until you have another blackout in the Cotswolds, uh, and then you're going to regret that decision, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's always worth having, I guess. Um, you do still go for walks and stuff as well, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's it's nice, but, like, I just have, like, too much. I have, like, 12 gigabytes every month. Just, I, don't, I don't use that much. I, d- I don't know... If it's fair to say if it's a waste, though, that's the thing, because it's not a physical product. That's what I'm curious to see how it actually works and how it would be able to be carried over and things like that. Having too much isn't necessarily going to impact anyone, is it, if you're not using it? I've never I've never really actually thought, like, oh, are we actually creating, like, e-waste? Yeah, that, that, I think that's what I mean. Is it actually a waste or is it just something that you invest into and perhaps are spending too much money on it? I think I think there's like this article I read I, I can't think of it off the top of my head but it was saying how like 800 million pounds gets wasted on data wow every I think every year 
But yeah, like I, I've I've written that actually in my final major project report. So that's eight million pounds. <laughs> what eight million? Whatever the metric it is of data that you could be giving to someone who's homeless or someone from a lower economic background who could benefit from that. Eight million. Yeah, that's yeah. A lot. And it's actually eight hundred. Eight hundred million. million. Oh my god. <laughs> when you put it like that, as in terms of stuff that we're not using yeah. that someone else could benefit from, in that perspective, it's a waste. Yeah, that actually reminds me of like we all have like old phones and like iPads or computers like lying around. Yeah, I'm very guilty of that. I think I've got. A blackberry sitting over there um I, f- I found two laptops randomly the other day i don't think they work very well <laughs> they're probably still about eight years old i did find them randomly under the sofa the other day but yeah it's it's quite a bad habit i guess you just collect these devices and you kind of think oh i've spent so much money on them i might need them at some point but when have you ever gone back to an old phone unless yours is smashed for whatever reason and you go back to your most recent yeah. right you don't go back to like 10 yeah. years ago if you have like a suggestion for where i can donate them because i know you've worked in a homeless shelter and things um if you do know anyone that might need them let me know and i'm happy to go donate them the falcon support center and they're always open for like new devices and i know that hubbub is also actively collecting like old devices and then like refurbishing them and like giving it to those people like who who need them oh nice but yeah i i, I think lots and lots of um companies are actually currently like collecting like old computers because we since we're all in a pandemic like there's like realization that oh you know computers are important and then you know there are people who don't have computers or people who don't have access to the internet that it has become like a a priority yeah absolutely and whilst those devices have become old for what perhaps i would use them for like if i tried to launch illustrator or you know xd on one of these old school laptops it just wouldn't run like it doesn't have the capacity to run stuff like that but then if you're somebody that's just using like a web browser to apply for jobs or you want to use microsoft word to like help type up your cv it would be perfect for someone like that. It doesn't require much like usage in that perspective. I think if you want to really do like really basic stuff, such as like you know typing up your CV or looking for jobs, a phone would do that job. Like you don't really need a computer. Like it could just be as simple as you know a phone with like access to the internet. Even being able to have a phone from the communication aspect, if somebody applies for a job using a, even a mobile device at least they can get someone can contact them via telephone than if they did get a job application or yeah. something like that so it makes more sense for them to have yeah. a phone over a laptop actually i think like there's also this negative stigma around people who are facing extreme poverty that they shouldn't they shouldn't have smartphones some stereotype that i've come across like over the internet i think i was, I was reading this post from a reddit user and then he was he was homeless, but he had a laptop. And then he's gotten like really weird negative comments around. Oh, you know, you're homeless. Why do you have you know Why do you have a MacBook? Or you're homeless. Why do you have an iPhone? And then he was writing about like how he uses a MacBook to find gigs on like Craigslist to to make some money. And then he uses his phone for job hunting. Well, I mean that's a very judgmental perspective to have, isn't it? To say just because somebody has a device or whatever, like how could they possibly be homeless? Like in theory, to buy an iPhone, yeah. an old one, you only really need Max. You could probably even find them for hundred pound in like computer exchange or something like. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's like really old iPhones, like an iPhone yeah. six or something. Yeah, and I would even argue that they would get a lot more use out of an iPhone than say me or you in terms of what they're doing on it and stuff like that. If it's going to help benefit them and things like that, I would argue I don't necessarily need a phone, not urgently. I need a laptop for work, and obviously I need something that I can get contacted on and things like that. But 
realistically i'm only using my phone to just post crap on like instagram and you know send cat memes to my friends on whatsapp it's not like a massive deal whereas yeah, for someone like yeah. that it really could benefit their life in a very impactful way mm-hmm. yeah kind of not sure what to do for this project in terms of like the next steps we've all had like issues with self-motivation and then like when we're not at school anymore so i'm wondering if you if you had some if you have some thoughts around that what is in constantly developing but not actively being a student in a way i think i feel i felt more motivated while i was at school compared to now yeah i i would agree with that um to some extent so i was reading this book it's called um, not a life coach by james smith so i've stolen this quote from there um but he basically says that you always have to have the mentality of a white belt so you know if you're doing like judo taekwondo uh, jiu-jitsu any sort of martial art you begin at a white belt you go into that environment and everybody still has the same level of respect no matter which level that you're at. But he basically says that it's important to try and maintain that white belt mentality of like every single time you go into that environment, you're open to learn, you're open to get knocked down, you're open to get back up again. And I think that's just kind of the mindset yeah. that I try to like apply in my everyday life. So even if I became the top of my field, I would always try to maintain that mindset of being a beginner, being a student, being a white belt. And how can I progress and how can I become better? even if it's just as an individual. I mean, I don't believe that you can be 100% perfect at any job. There's always more that you can learn, especially in our industry. I mean, things change rapidly by the day. You know, there'll be new software to learn. There'll be new techniques and ways of doing things. There'll be different audiences that we need to appeal to, things like that. You can, also, you can always learn more. But in terms of being motivated to do that, it can be challenging at times, absolutely. As long as you stay passionate with what you're doing, I guess that will just kind of come naturally. For me, I really enjoy reading audiobooks, well, listening to audiobooks, um, listening to podcasts, trying to stay up to date with current trends. As long as you're doing things like that and it interests you, I think it will just come naturally. I don't think we need to apply so much pressure on ourselves to like constantly be developing and even be- the word being motivated. Yeah. Like nobody wakes up motivated. It's about being consistent. It's not about being motivated. If you get up and do the same thing 10 days in a row, you're more likely to progress further than if you woke up motivated. Because the truth is, people that get up and do stuff are not motivated nine times out of 10. Yeah, that's so true. One of, definitely one of the key benefits of me doing a master's degree was that I spent three years working and, you know, being in that current environment. And I was micromanaged. Um, you know, I was in a space where I wasn't learning anything. I wasn't encouraged to learn anything. Um, I felt very like, undervalued undereducated so many different aspects to it but yeah going out of that environment and becoming a student again and you know having this whole new world that's been opened up to me and there's so much to learn and you know you're actively getting that content to learn it and the material the teachers are there other students are there there's so many people to learn around you from that was part of the most valuable thing of the program and it was taking that break taking a year to, to be a complete student again and then go back into industry with a fresh perspective and you can do that at any point in your life, whether you're 30, whether you're 40, whether you're 80. You can always take that time out and go back and be a student again. And yeah, it's like that white belt mentality that I said. I think what, what really, um, like what I really admire about like some of our course mates was we have people who have been in industry for quite some time and they are willing to go back to school and learn. It's like, you know, where do you find that motivation? I really like admire that. 
I think it will be it's driven by different things right like I've, I've made it quite clear yeah. both my application and to you guys that I went into UX initially <laughs> because I was driven by money well it comes across as quite a negative trait on my personality I suppose I mean I, I believe that everybody's driven by money to some extent like everybody <laughs> has to have money in order to survive and things like that it gives you that financial freedom like if I want to go to a rooftop bar in London which is going to cost me 50 pounds to buy two cocktails for example I now have the money that I can go and do that with a friend and for me I get to spend that time with my friend we have a good time that's good for my mental health like, all these things kind of add up and yeah you could mm. do the same thing in the park with two cans but it's a lot nicer in a rooftop bar in London isn't it <laughs> and having like a decent job <laughs> yeah, and stuff like yeah. that it gives me the financial freedom to do stuff like that it's not because I'm trying to become the next owner of Amazon and you know I'm not trying to contribute to stuff like that I'm just I'm just trying to live a better life for me and money can help me do that <laughs> I th- I think that in itself is a good motivation, you know, like for me, for me, when I decided to do, do my master's, you know, I wanted to feel respected in my job because I was, I was already a UX designer, but, you know, I was fresh out of uni, you know, super young. I think I was like 22 at the time. And then people just treated me like a child. And I, I felt like I wasn't treated as a professional and I, I think that in itself was like really really frustrating like having to defend my designs all the time having to justify myself even even though I feel like I've been doing that at work a lot lately but it's a different feeling like when I defend my designs at work it's more you know I know what I'm doing but compared to back at my first job I kind yeah. of didn't know what I was doing yeah it's also that in- internal fear as well as like the design imposter syndrome which you know I am still trying to get over you were in Taiwan at the time right when you were working what, what was the incentive yeah. behind going yeah. to the UK and doing a master's program over say doing a six weeks online program that you probably could have done part-time while still working in another job what was that thought process there why a master's degree I, I hated my job and I it was just like one really bad day at work and then my boss had just like yelled yeah. at me in front of like all my colleagues and I think that was like I was really it was embarrassing but it was also like very frustrating and pushed me to the point well like screw you I'm going to go do a master's degree I'm going to use all your resources to apply <laughs> for this course it was, it, was, it was more like a revenge but you know even though it's, it sounds horrible right now you know I'm, I'm still glad I did this course. I think it's good though like sometimes you need to have that push in order to put you in the right direction of- yeah I'm, I'm 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 glad I at the time and I questioned myself you know am I cut out for studying I'm, I'm really glad I did in the end you know I'm I'm so much happier with my colleagues and I feel like they're really supportive no I think it's good um you have to go through these bad experiences to see what's a positive thing right when I compare my current job to my old job, I feel so valued in this position. People actually care about what I have to say. There's not really much of a hierarchy in my company as in there's nobody below me, really. It's more just like everybody's on a level playing field. We're all experts in different things. And we can go to one another for different aspects of what we specialize in. And I think that's great. Whereas my other job, any kind of idea that I had, even though I was creating a lot of design work for the NHS in terms of social media and stuff like that, it definitely wasn't valued and a lot of the work that I did also the credit got taken in other ways I think in a way like we both had pretty bad work experiences <laughs> like but it it drove us to wanting you know a better job yeah but, but were either of us actually driven by gaining the masters itself because it was never part of my plan to go into higher education past like a bachelor's maybe that's just a very British thing they're not really needed here oh really 
Yeah, I mean, well, that's always been my perception of it. Like, or like friends in Europe, friends in Asia, they're all like, oh, I really want to get like a master's degree, might do a PhD, this, that, and the other. Like, they really value higher, higher education. I call it higher, higher. Like, higher education is like bachelor's. But beyond that, so yeah, that was never part of my plan. I never, I never ever thought that I would go back to universities. And I'm so glad that I did. It was the best decision I made. Was that part of your plan? Like, did you always want to gain a master's degree? Or was it just something that you had a bad day and you did the application? I think it was like a little bit of both. Like, I've always wanted to do one because I think it's just like, just like a culture thing. Like, oh, my dad did one. And then my cousins, you know, they're all, you know, you know how like relatives, they like to compare like each other's kids and whatnot. And it's just like, oh, yeah, I just have to do one. But then I kind of don't have that extra motivation like okay so like what happens if I do do one you know I I just have more you know student debt and less work experience where I could be you know going out already and gaining that work experience so I kind of was in between like should I do it should I not do it and it wasn't until like that that really bad day at work it's just really pushed me to to like okay you know it is time to do it and then I just had that driving force to like write my personal statement to put together my portfolio and just send it out yeah no it makes sense I remember um because I was job hunting at the time I think I started job hunting from January time and I did my master's application in July July August time it was really really late I literally handed in my notice and I left work the next day and I had to move to Loughborough it was it was a very drastic decision and it it just kind of happened quickly but um I had a really bad day at work and I remember I had literally had this micromanager. If he, if he ever listens to this, then I have to thank that guy. But equally, he made my life miserable at that job. But yeah, I think he just kind of went on this massive power trip. And he'd asked me to do a lot of work like on the side. And then he'd take credit for it, for example, oh, and like cool. present it in meetings and stuff. I think that was it. I asked him if he could, because um, it, again, it's that kind of development opportunity, which we've kind of touched upon, like that eagerness to learn. So I'd been going to these interviews and stuff and had some really cool interviews. Like I got through to the final stage of GHD, uh, Gymshark. Uh, there was a couple of like advertising agencies. That's off the top of my head. But um, one of the things that the, the feedback that I was gaining from these interviews was like, oh, we've hired someone else because they had this or they had that kind of thought about graphic design as a whole and then I was like okay I feel like I either need to go down the motion graphics type route or I need to go down the kind of development route because this is just I'm stuck in the middle somewhere and everybody's way more qualified has much more experience than me are better at things than me and I'm just stuck in limbo here like what am I doing but yeah so it was that day I remember I asked this specific manager I said you know I really would like to learn um, After Effects because I want to make some better social media content for the NHS and at the time we were looking to invest in stuff like that and we were paying these agencies thousands of pounds. And I said, literally, if you sent me on a £900 course in a week, I'd be able to do this stuff for you. Like, it makes sense for you as a business to invest into me and I can do it. So I asked him about it. He literally said no straight away. Got up the Loughborough website, did the application. <laughs> uh, and it was kind of like following on what, from what you said. It was like using their resources to make this like dramatic decision. And then I think it was a week later, uh, I got an email back. Uh, basically saying that I had the acceptance letter essentially I can't remember what the actual term for it is but um yeah and I remember I went back that week so it was the day that I found out and um that next day so it was a Thursday I went in on the Friday and they were like oh yeah we've managed to get the course that you wanted approved and I was like oh okay because I sent it to another manager um and they basically had a go at him and said you know this is ridiculous Tanya's been here for three years and she's she's literally doing nothing to get better and like we're not really helping her do that I remember I went on that course 
And then I was like, I'll hand in my notice the day after I finish that course, just because I'm going to have to pay for it otherwise. Well, I told like the manager that I liked um, in person. I was just like, this is a heads up. I'm doing this. He was like, this job is a dead end for you. Like you need to carry on. Yeah. So yeah, he, he was always very supportive in that sense though, but it was more the higher kind of people above him that kept rejecting yeah. our developments and stuff like that. So yeah, that's kind of my story. I had a bad day at work, literally did the application and then in the space of two weeks made a decision to move. <laughs> but... Oh, that's great. Like it's, it's, it's so cool hearing like how like we've all had like bad days at work and it just became that ultimate like motive to like drive us yeah, like, but... life changing decisions. And then you think back to that moment, right? And you think this is the worst feeling, like like I feel really undervalued, this, that and the other. But that pushed us all to make that ultimate decision that where we are now. Before, I used to hate going into work. I'd like dread going into work. I was like, oh, I really don't want to see this manager today. Like if I knew that he was coming into the office, I'd try to work from home. Like actively did not want to see him. Whereas now, I'm like buzzing to have like a stand up with my manager. I think he's awesome. Like we get on really well and it's like he's constantly giving me good opportunities even in meetings and stuff really like he'll email me before and be like I think you should say this like go and go and look at this because I want you to say it type thing and he he pushes me in the right direction to be better and I think that's really important for leadership yeah yeah I think that that's that's what makes a really good manager is like helping others grow and you know overall like your, your team would grow like that's that's a really good mindset yeah, rather than being a leader who basically takes all the credit for all your minions below you's work and then presents it as his own, like, that's bad leadership. You need someone who's willing to, like, be there every step of the way, helping you grow, helping the team grow, help, and essentially that reflects well on yeah. you. And also just creating a positive working environment as well. Like, I feel like I genuinely could go to my manager for anything. And I know your manager's fairly yeah. similar, right, in terms of you can be very open and honest with them. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know I could be so open and honest with, like, a work colleague. <laughs> See, that's that's amazing. It's it's good that we, well, I, I mean, I wouldn't say completely open and honest with mine, but um, there's obviously some things you keep to yourself or whatever. But generally speaking, I feel like if I was having, like, an off day, I mean, I have had this recently with, like, family issues and stuff. If I've had a day where I've needed to, like, rush off or I haven't felt like coming into work and stuff like that, he's incredibly supportive. <laughs> Hi, Conan. <laughs> Yes, Conan's joining in on this podcast recording. I guess back to your initial question then, which was how do you help yourself be motivated to constantly self-improve? Like I've, I've given how I feel about it. How do, how do you do it? I think for me, how I'll do it is I'll kind of look at the skill sets that I kind of want to learn for this job. Like, for example, I really want to learn some UI design, which is very more, more visual, more graphic. So I kind of read read more into on that. That's all I have for now. Like, you know, I, I kind of want to improve my UI skills since I don't have a graphic design background. I wouldn't call myself a graphic designer. I can sort of make things pretty, but I can't make awesome graphics like Hariklia. Oh, she's yeah. incredible, honestly. So anyone that follows us on Instagram, um, Hariklia is behind the designs of our Instagram page. And I think they're phenomenal. Uh, she's done an incredible job with it. And the illustrations and stuff she comes up with are yeah. insane. Yeah, I mean, I had a graphic designer title for three years and I definitely can't produce what she can produce. She's incredible. <laughs> it's different types of design though, right? Like um, I was saying this to a friend earlier today because we're trying to plan like a baby shower for our friend virtually. And I said to her, I think you should sit in on the plan because you're more creative than me. And she was like, how can I be more creative than you? Like I'm a teacher and you do this and you're a creative as a, as a like career. And I was like, yeah, but there's just different... It's different, like, layers to creativity, right? Like, 
I'm quite good at like doing the concept generation and like filling gaps about like how to make things gel together. The people that are attending this event, I'll try and tailor it to them and make it work. Very user focused, right? Where she's like, if you give her a blank canvas, she could create some something absolutely incredible and like hand make stuff. She's a really good baker. She's good at like decorating stuff, all that kind of stuff. It's quite artsy and hands on. Yeah. And yeah, I was just we were talking about like the different levels of creativity. In a general sense, people think being creative means you have to be artsy. But I think for me, being a designer is more like creating things that work. Yeah, I think that's the difference between them, though, right? Art's kind of like more something that you yeah. enjoy, I guess. Like vi- whether that's visually, audio, reading, etc. That's something that you would enjoy. It's for other people to enjoy, etc. Design's more like for a purpose. Yeah. It's designing with something in mind, whether whatever the outcome is. The other thing as well, because I know, like you said, as a kind of collective, us hosts were talking about it and we were saying, like, it's difficult going from being a student where you kind of are excited to learn everything and all that kind of stuff. But equally, I, I think it's it's quite easy to put a lot of pressure on yourself to kind of keep that mindset and feel guilty almost for not having that kind of desire to learn a lot and things like that. But then equally, I think you turning around and saying, I want to do this because it's going to benefit my job is a good way of doing it because unfortunately nobody's got the time investment all this kind of stuff to constantly be a student and learn everything all the time like we kind of just need to keep developing in areas where we can and become the best in terms of which path that we're going on so whether that yeah I want to learn coding for example because it's going to help me be better at my job and then perhaps I can get a promotion in doing this stuff like that I think that's where it's interesting like for me at the moment I'm really trying to learn about the energy sector because that's one thing that I'm really struggling with I'm good at what I do but you put me in the energy sector like when it comes to home improvements on your heating for example like I'm not the person to go to to describe that but I should be because that's my job in the grand scheme of things is learning about renewable energy and like how to improve my home in terms of reducing my carbon emission on heating really going to impact me as a designer no so it's like specific to what's going on at the time. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think we need to be like unicorns, as you've said, like you have to be absolute specialists in everything. I think you just need to go with what suits you at the time and tailor your goals and be motivated to self-improve at that moment in time because it will change. It will definitely change in the space of like six months. I think that's, that's really insightful to hear your your perspective on it. Just to highlight my point, I guess, um, I really like that quote from James Smith, which is, you should try to remain a white belt. And if you're not familiar with martial arts, then you should try to remain a student. Uh, but not the kind of binge drinking <laughs> mentality, that, like things like that. It's like being open to learning new things, uh, different opportunities. You know, like when you're a student, you'd be more than happy to take an apprenticeship or an, in- an internship because you know it's going to help you develop. Whereas when we're a bit older and, you know, we take a step back and we're like, I've already got this status. Like, why do I need to go back and learn that type of thing? Our ego can kind of get in the way of that. So I think it's important to just try and stay a white belt, stay a student in terms of being open to things and being open to learning. Stay curious, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> All right, brilliant. Well, thanks thanks a lot for listening to our episode. Um, if you don't already, then give us a follow on Instagram. We're at UX, and you'll see Horikia's incredible design work. Um, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you listen to either of those. And yeah, we'll see you soon.